best part of the year for college basketball is almost here. The regular season is winding down, selection Sundays in less than a month, and after that, it's finally time for March Madness. Welcome to Beyond the Bracket, a special edition series of a Sportsbeat KC podcast that's here to get you ready for the NCAA tournament. I'm Lila Bromberg, and each week I'm going to be bringing on some of the best reporters and columnists from around the country to discuss college hoops. For his first episode, we've got insiders into two of the Blue Bloods of college basketball, which just so happen to find themselves in very different positions as we approach March Madness, one looking primed for a top seed and the other trying to secure a spot. I'm so excited to be joined by John Clay, who covers the Kentucky Wildcats as a columnist for Lexington Herald Leader, and CL Brown, the North Carolina Tar Heels beat reporter for the News and Observer. Thank you guys so much for hopping on. Thanks for having yeah. We're going to get into a lot today. Excited to have some fun back and forth with you guys and get into everything college basketball to give everyone at home listening a bit of a rundown. We're going to get into the top 16 reveal from this weekend, talk about some bubble teams, where we're leaning for national coach of the year, national player of the year. And then we're going to end things with our final four picks and games we're most excited to watch this week. But before we get into that, we, of course, kind of have to get into what happened on Sunday with Juwan Howard postgame after the Wisconsin game, getting into it there with Greg Gard, and then uh, ended up putting hands on an assistant coach after there was at the end of the game, Juwan Howard decided to press with, you know, the team down double digits. Uh, Greg Gard called a timeout, which he was not a fan of and explained that was kind of what started a lot of this, obviously different tensions uh, boiling up for Michigan this year, not having the year they expected. I mean, for you guys, what was your reaction whether you saw it live or just hearing about that and seeing it back? Yeah, my initial reaction was first surprise CBS stayed with the coverage. You know how, yeah. how quick they can fade out, especially when they have another event and the credits were already popping up and everything. And I just thought it was going to be a done deal. And, and I was glad they stayed with it. But um I mean, obviously, I think both head coaches acted a little bit childish in this situation. I mean, you know, on on Wisconsin part, um, you're up 14. Having a 10 second violation isn't going to lose you the game or give Michigan some kind of momentum where they're going to come back. So uh, I, I, I don't really understand the timeout in that situation. But on the on the flip side you know, you're still pressing Jerron Howard with, with no chance of winning. So you kind of put yourself in that position. You can't get mad that somebody reacted to your, uh, to your strategy or your decision-making. So um, the thing that I'm, I'm most disappointed in though, is, is Jawan Howard actually putting his hands, reaching, <laughs> reaching out. Um, I don't think it was a punch though. I, I do think to yeah. a certain extent, I feel like people, People are overreacting to it. There was no blood on the floor. There was no teeth knocked out. You know, it could have been worse, yes, but it wasn't. So let's not act like it was the the malice at the palace. Like this was this was a pushing and shoving, and and you know the proper suspension should be handed down. I I, I doubt Jawan will be coaching for the rest of the season. Um, I think Greg Gard is even subject to maybe a one game suspension because if he just lets Jawan say, I'll remember that and keep walking in the line. We don't have any of this either. So you can't, no matter if you were quote unquote trying to explain something, you can't grab somebody who's already angry and try and stop like that just, that just led to all of this. So um, yes, it's a black mark uh, right now for, for college basketball, but let's, let's all keep it in perspective. It, It wasn't as bad as, as some people are making it out to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I do think that, I mean, you can't be doing that. I mean, these are supposed to be your two coaches are supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be, uh, you know, examples for their players and for young men. I think we kind of lose sight sometimes, you know, about the winning and losing and the money involved and championships and so forth. That primarily what they're supposed to be doing is setting a good example and coaching, coaching their players. 
uh, yeah, Juwan was obviously upset when Guard called the timeout. If you looked at his facial reaction on the Michigan sidelines, and he kind of made some gestures about he was obviously upset. And if you notice, he walked away. He didn't get immediately in the handshake line. It looked like he yeah. walked away, and then and then he was toward of toward the end of the line. Then he said what he said to Guard, and Guard tried to stop him. I guess to explain, he was. I guess Guard thought he was going to explain why he did it. Uh, and then it escalated from there. But you can't you can't be laying you can't be whether it was a slap or a hit or just trying to move the guy away. You can't be doing that. And I agree with CL. He at, at the very least he needs to be suspended for the rest of the season. And I agree with CL. Probably Greg Gard needs to uh, have some sort of punishment as well. He could have just shaken. Uh, they did have kind of a quick handshake there before it erupted. Shake his hand and go on and leave it at that. Um, I didn't really have a problem with guard calling timeout. As his explanation, he said he had his subs in the game. He was trying to get a reset the 10 seconds, get a play for them to get the ball in bounds. But I agree with CL. If they get a 10-second violation, it's not going to affect the outcome of the game. But I do think, you know, Jawan, I think it's a fireable offense. I'm not saying they should fire him, but I think you could make a case if, the, case if he is fired. But I think at least he needs to be suspended for the rest of the season. The other thing, too, with Jawan is this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, not as far as punching somebody or laying his hands on somebody, but obviously with Mark Turgeon mm-hmm. last year at Maryland where he was upset and had to be held back and was ejected from the game. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I do think the I do think he needs to be gone at least for the rest of the season. Yeah, I was covering that Maryland game last year when that happened. A lot of that drama kind of started because Hunter Dickinson had, you know, been saying that Maryland didn't recruit him when he did, and it kind of became his whole narrative and so to me at the time that very felt felt like something that was kind of there's a lot kind of underlying and in, in you know thinking he was d- defending a player and just a lot of drama that had kind of been boiling between those two programs for weeks so I mean seeing this felt very different to me in terms of just the you know reaction and everything uh like that but you know I think it's interesting what you guys mentioned of the possibility of him being suspended for the rest of the season. We're recording this on Monday. It's you guys are probably listening to this at home Tuesday or later in the week. So something could have come out by then, but I mean, you just look at his fall from Michigan of where they were ranked at the start of the season looking prime, like he was going to lead them back to a final four. That was the expectation there. And now to this, I mean, they went into this game on the bubble, trying to fight for a spot after having a resurgence as of late and you get suspended now, you don't have your coach, you have all this happen. I mean, you'd probably think that the season's, I mean, we'll see what happens, but it seems like the season, you know, is probably done for them in some capacity at this point. And just uh, really, I think one of the most disappoint, disappointing teams in the country right now, if you look at what their preseason expectations were to now. So, yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. And I'm sure that leads to frustration. You know, Jawan's had a lot of frustration towards the end of the year. And then to lose, obviously, that was a big game yesterday, Wisconsin. If they could have beaten Wisconsin uh, there in Madison, that would have been a huge win for them uh, as far as their NCAA chances. So I'm sure that frustration, you know, as well. But, uh, you know, they're supposed to be the adults in the room, these guys. They're supposed to be setting an example. And, you know, to me, there's just no excuse for how frustrated you are. There's no excuse for that. Kind of a side note to this uh, is there are a lot of people, a lot of North Carolina fans pulling for Michigan because it, that could be another quad one win for them. Carolina only has one, and that came on the road at Virginia Tech on Saturday. And so it, with with some of their wins, they were kind of fluctuating here. They were they were they were quad one on on one day and then they come back and lose. And then like like after losing to Wisconsin, they fell back out of, of quad one. So um, if Jawan Howard isn't there for the rest of the season, I think it's safe to say Carolina won't have that to count as a quad one victory. Right. And I'm so excited to get your thoughts on the bubble and this season of North Carolina. Before we get into the, that, though, I have to get your guys' reaction to this first uh, reveal of the projected top 16 seeds for a quick rundown before we get into our thoughts. Gonzaga is the number one overall seed at the moment, followed by Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas as other number ones. Baylor started at the two seed, started the two seed line, followed by Kentucky, Purdue, and Duke. Villanova was the first three seed, uh, the nine overall seed, followed by Texas Tech, Tennessee, and Illinois. 
Then Wisconsin as the number 13 overall to kick off the four seed line with UCLA, Providence, and Texas after that. Of course, all this is subject to change and, you know, we'll get into everything there, but it's also worth noting, you know, in the times we've had the reveal at this point of the season, three of the one seeds on that day have gone on to be one seeds on selection Sunday. Uh, and three of the teams included in this top 16 lost over the weekend, Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas, which will break down following this. But, uh, and then, you know, some teams cut it close, but first, I mean, what do you guys think of where everything fell with the seeding? I guess, John, I'll get your thoughts first. Cause I was a bit surprised to see Baylor ahead of Kentucky and some other things there. What did you think of where Kentucky was and uh, just the overall seeding? Well, Kentucky fans are uh, outraged that Kansas is a one seed where Kentucky's a two seed when Kentucky beat Kansas in Lawrence uh, in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, pretty much dominated from start to finish. So I think they've got a point there, and I'm not, <laughs> not trying to be a Kentucky homer or anything, but I think they do have a point there. I was a little surprised to see Kentucky uh, behind Baylor as well. I think part of that, though, your, Kentucky's last game before they made the reveal was they lost to Tennessee, so they were coming off of that loss. Um, you know, not a whole lot else surprised me about the uh, about the uh, the way that it, it broke down with the 16. I do think putting Villanova in the east where you've got, well, I think uh, where the east region is going to be played at Philadelphia, Wells Fargo. I believe uh, Villanova's played three games there this year where they were not the so-called home team, but they did play there and um, there wouldn't be the home team in the regional. Uh, you know, I think there'll be a lot, if that's the way it plays out, I think Bill Self, John Calipari, and some others will have some problems with that. So we'll see how that breaks down. Other than that, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised by Gonzaga being number one or Auburn being right behind him or Arizona. I think those three probably pretty well in place. The only thing that surprised me was Kansas in that four spot. I think that was such a interesting move from Villanova this year, because usually they would play a lot more games at Wells Fargo Center, knowing that there's a possibility of playing there. They, in the NCAA tournament, decided not to play as many home games there. I mean, that's just a really smart chess move. And I think you're right. I think some coaches are not going to be so happy about that because <laughs> you're going to have a built-in home advantage for right. possible Elite Eight and Sweet 16 games. Uh, I mean, that's, that's huge. Uh, CL, what are your thoughts on on this initial reveal? Yeah, I'm probably uh, I might come off as a hater here. I, I'm not <laughs> as high on Arizona as as most people are, um, and certainly not as a number one seed. Um, you know, if you just go in strictly by the net rankings, they have five quad one wins. Um, you know, Baylor has nine. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, uh, I, I just feel like, you know, <laughs> I thought Baylor had a strong case because of how they started the season. I know, you know, since conference play and, and the uh, SEC Big 12 challenge, they lost that game to Alabama. But I, I, I just feel like they have some big non-conference wins. But I also feel like there's a little bit of, of um uh, gamesmanship isn't the right word, but the, the committee knows what they're doing. They, they release this stuff to get us talking, basically. And, mm -hmm. and I don't think once the actual bracket comes on Selection Sunday, we will have these same kind of things in place. But I, I feel like the first reveal, they can kind of do anything like have Villanova in the East to get people talking about something. But, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem, though, I, with, with most of the rest of, of the seating. Um, I think it kind of falls in line. Uh, I do think that um, Baylor and Kansas play this weekend, and we'll get to that later, I'm sure, um, in the games of the week. But I, I think whoever comes out of the Big 12, which, you know, Kansas is up two games right now, but I still think Baylor could make that up. I, I definitely think they will one of those two teams will definitely have a number one seat when it's all said and done. Right. And, and Baylor, I've been going back and back and forth on, um, you know, obviously kind of had that rough stretch there. And I think the thing that concerns me the most with them is, you know, just they've had those injury concerns this year. And then, you know, Jonathan Chamachachua now being out for the season. I don't think we've really kind of seen uh, the result of that yet or seen it affect too many things, but really a guy that's a heart and soul of that team does so many kind of tough, gritty things. That's something that kind of worries me 
come March there. Um, but I mean, obviously national champions, hard to get to, you know, that spot again, but really impressive stuff. Um, in terms of how this is all going to change, it seems like we don't really have a clear number one right now. I mean, obviously Gonzaga is number one in the poll and in seeding. I don't really see that changing. It's hard to see them dropping a WCC game, but it's not like last year where they're completely undefeated and everyone, you know, just is talking about them winning the national championship. Baylor was kind of in that conversation, but all year it was Gonzaga. Uh, you know, we don't have a ton of clarity on a lot of the other one seeds. I think a lot could change there. Um, in terms of teams that you guys think could kind of rise or fall here, like I mentioned, we had the losses to Auburn, Tennessee, and Texas. Uh, one team that really intrigues me here that I think has a huge chance to rise higher is Texas Tech. Uh, I've been really impressed with them this season. Their defense is just so much fun to watch. Um, I mean, the Big 12 is really interesting with having Texas Tech, Baylor, and, and Kansas there. Uh, of these kind of where the seating is, are there teams that you guys think really have an opportunity to rise or fall or a team that you think could now get into the conversation that those three lost over the weekend? You're talking about of the 16 teams of the seeds? Yeah, of the 16 of those teams, teams, if there are ones you think could move up or if a team that didn't make it, you think could move in. Well, I mean, you know, I like see, I think – uh, of this, I agree with you. Lila, the Texas Tech, I think, is in a good spot. I like they play defense. I think defense travels. I, I know people say when you get in the tournament, you know, you've got to uh, be able to score, and you wonder about that with Texas Tech. But as far as this spot from now till they get to the tournament, I think their defense will serve them well. I think they're a team that could possibly move up. I look at those Big Ten teams when you look at Purdue, Illinois, those teams, and who they've got left down the stretch. Uh, you know, I think those teams are possible they could possibly if one of those teams could kind of really step forward and dominate the rest of the schedule I think you could see them move up the seedings I think there's an opening there yeah that's what's kind of funny about um it's kind of been the talk of the ACC this year of how down the conference is and how most years there are plenty of opportunities for ACC teams to kind of move up and improve tournament seating or even get into the tournament because they have the opportunity for big wins that doesn't exist. So like Duke, you know, they, they were initially number eight um, in the seating, the number two seed. I don't really see an opportunity for them to get any better. If anything, they could end up with, with a surprising loss or two and end up worse, you know? So um it, it's kind of funny how that works, but but as you said about the, the Big Ten and the Big 12, for that matter, there are so many opportunities. They still got, even though the season is like down to three, four games, there's still opportunities for big wins, uh, for resume boosting wins. So, yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me to see Texas Tech uh, move up to, a, to that number two seed line. Um, wouldn't surprise me to see a Kentucky move up to the number one seed line um, in the SEC. So, well, it, it's still as short as the season is and a regular season left. There's still a lot of games to be played, you know. And you bring up a, you know, interesting point that I really wanted to get your thoughts on with the ACC this year. It seemed like last year was kind of a down year as well. And just the league has not kind of been at that same level. You've really seen some dominance from the Big 12 and Big 10 in recent years. SEC is, you know, starting to uh just have a lot more teams in contention as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on the state of the ACC and the teams in this conference right now and how it stacks up against the rest of college basketball? Yeah, well, shameless plug. I, I actually did a story on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, it really just comes down to talent. This isn't the level of talent that the ACC is used to having. It's, it's, it's been down um, the past two players of the years in the, in the ACC. Neither one of them were number were drafted in the first round. It was it was uh, Moses Wright from Georgia Tech last year, and it was Trey Jones from Duke two years ago. And when you look historically in the ACC, the last time that happened, were back to back years, guys didn't go in the first round. It was because guys returned to school. It was Julius Hodge from NC State and JJ Redick from Duke, and both of those guys, when they won it, they came back to school the next year. So you have to go 
it, this century, it hadn't happened where you've had back-to-back years of non-first rounders as supposedly your best player in the, in the league. So um, you look at that, you look at kind of the changing of the guard in terms of coaching. Uh, it, it used to be you could look at the ACC as kind of the league where some of the best coaches were, but, you know, with Roy retiring, Coach K is on his way out. Uh, you figure in the next few years, although Jim Beheim <laughs> might still be doing this another 50 years the way it feels like, but Beheim will be gone. Leonard Hamilton at, at Florida State will be, be gone. You're talking about all these guys are in their 70s, Jim Laranega in Miami. So there's still a changing of the guard. There's still, uh, obviously, Tony Bennett, you look at as being kind of the next big big kind of uh, coaching entity in the, in the league. But um, outside of him, you wonder who else is going to kind of step up and, and, uh, and become kind of that icon and, and be able to get a lot of talent and, and uh, bring to the league. Now, obviously I say all of this, but Duke is kind of the exception right now still, because obviously they have, they have a, a roster with first round talents on it, a lot of repicks on it. But the rest of the league is is scrambling to catch up because, you know, right now from from some of the NBA scouts that I talked to outside of maybe Blake Wesley at Notre Dame, there are no other uh, first round talents outside of Duke in the ACC. So that's it. It all comes back to talent. (laughs) Right. I mean, and talent, that's been a huge driver for the rise of uh, the SEC as well, yeah. John, as someone who's been covering it for a while, what's it been like to kind of see this rise from Kentucky dominating year in, year out to now what we've had in recent years and uh, the race for the SEC title right now? You know, to me, the SEC, their rise in basketball goes back to um, the late Mike Slive, who was the commissioner of the SEC. And one year, uh, the SEC didn't get, but I think maybe three teams in the tournament. And Slab said he was going to make a commitment to uh, improving basketball in the league, that they were not doing well enough. Uh, he appointed one of his assistant athletic uh, assistant commissioners to be in charge. They hired Mike Trangisi, the former Big East commissioner, to come in as a consultant to help out. And I think you're seeing the fruits of that. You're also seeing the fruits of the SEC network money that's gone to these schools and they're putting, they're not putting all of that money back into football. They're putting some of the money into basketball. And you look like CL talked about the coaches in the ACC retiring in the SEC. You've got coaches like Bruce Pearl, Auburn hiring Bruce Pearl, Arkansas with Eric Musselman. It's not just John Calipari anymore. Um, So I think that's, you know, improved the uh, overall strength of the league. You know, when we were talking about the teams, the 16 seeds, and you're talking about maybe a team that could break into the 16 seat wanted to become one of the top four seeds in the region. To me, I look at a team like Arkansas. Arkansas, I think, is 23 in the uh, net rankings right now. But they've got – they and talk about opportunities. They're at Florida on Tuesday night. Then they've got Kentucky at home, LSU at home, and they finish out with Tennessee. If they could find a way – and they've won something like 11 of their last 12, and the one loss was to Alabama at Alabama by one point. They beat Auburn when Auburn was number one, they've got a chance to really come on strong at the end. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but that certainly the opportunities is there. And that's an example. Arkansas went out and hired Eric Musselman, who's done a tremendous job there. And I think that kind of uh, embodies the rise of the SEC, making good, smart hires. And those guys have done a good job. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I guess we kind of got on, got into this a little excited to get into this more of a fun segment here to move into the bubble uh, for teams that are just barely in right now or fighting for a spot. A uh, ton is going to change here over the next couple of weeks. But as of right now, we're going to play a fun game here of buy and sell where we're each going to share one team on the bubble. We like to make the tournament, maybe make some noise. Remember, it was a rare exception. UCLA went from the first four to the final four last year. And one team that we're either not buying to get into the tournament, not doing anything once there. Uh, before we get into that, CL, a little bit from you, you know, UNC is in that range this year. You've been kind of up close with the program on a day in, day out basis. What's it been like in this first year under Hubert Davis? And what do you think of the team's chances come March? 
Yeah, it's it's strange territory for sure for for North Carolina traditionalists to be <laughs> to be near the end of the year and, and worried about uh, actually getting into the tournament. But I think this excuse me, this first year under Hubert Davis has there, there have been some changes offensively and stylistically from from how Roy Williams played. Um obviously Hubert Davis was a shooter when he played in school and he values having guys, a bunch of guys that can shoot the ball. So they're, they're much better on a perimeter this year than they had have been. Um, those last few Roy Williams teams were all towards the bottom historically as a program, they were towards the bottom in terms of three point shooting percentage this year. They're close to the top they're, They've been shooting. They're shooting around 38% from three this year. Um, uh, which is, uh, I think it was third or fourth in the ACC. I forgot the, the most recent rankings, but they're top 20 nationally. And, and he went out and recruited big guys. You know, they got Oklahoma transfer Brady Manick in at forward. Um, they had Marquette transfer Dawson Garcia before uh, some family issues and family health problems. Uh, he decided to, to go back home and shut down the rest of the season, but Hubert Davis went out and specifically wanted to have big guys who could shoot to, to just kind of change the dynamics from what Roy Williams used to like, still having two bigs, two traditional bigs back to the basket, kind of playing high low. So it, it, from a style point, it, it's been different, but it's also been different. Just the kind of losses that they've had this year. It's, it's really been feast or famine. You know, they mm-hmm. they haven't played too many close games. I'll put it that way. I mean, you, they lost by 29 to Kentucky, uh, 28 at Miami, 22 to Wake Forest, 20 to Duke. Like they 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 have these big swings. They they earlier in the year, you know, when Michigan was still ranked and we still thought that they were a top 25 team. Uh, you know, Carolina beats Michigan by 20 at home. So it's it's like. You have these big swings where you think, okay, they have the potential to do X, Y, Z, but then they come back with a with a disappointing loss. And last week was another example when they were down by, I think the, the most was 21, uh, but they were down at home to Pittsburgh, which is a team that's been struggling all year. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then Pittsburgh goes out and loses to Georgia Tech after they beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. So you know, it's a team I haven't figured out, I think, which I think is the identity of this team is that you can't trust them. <laughs> you know, they have the potential where they could beat anybody or lose and lose to anybody. So it's it's kind of been a it's been an up and down year for sure. But it's it's just kind of been a hard team to figure out. Do you see them making the tournament? I mean, we mentioned kind of not a lot of opportunities in the ACC uh, do you think they're going to be able to get in there on Selection Sunday? I do still think they're going to get in. Um, I think Saturday's win at Virginia Tech was was huge for them. That was a legitimate quad one win. Um, and I wanted to see how they were going to rebound from such a disappointment last Wednesday against uh, Pittsburgh to lose that game. It, the way they've played, you know, I kind of wondered if they were just going to lay an egg on the road. But they they, they had poise. They showed some uh, some toughness that sometimes they've lacked this season. And um, I, I, I think that bodes well for them going forward. Obviously, if they could, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but if they could go into Duke, to Cameron Indoor Stadium in that regular season finale, the last game for Mike Krzyzewski as a coach uh, in Cameron Indoor Stadium, uh, if Carolina came out of that game with a win, uh, I think that would cement, you know, a spot in, in the NCAA tournament. But obviously they lost about 20 the first time. So it, it's going to be quite the challenge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John, uh, what what are you feeling with your bubble teams? If you had to buy and sell a bubble team right now, uh, 
who would you have? Well, I mean, as far as selling, I mean, uh, I think what you said earlier about Michigan, I mean, it's going to be hard for Michigan, I think, to come back. Uh, that loss, the Juwan Howard stuff aside, the loss yesterday, I think, hurt them. That was an opportunity for them to win. Not only the loss, but the way they lost, losing by double digits doesn't help them. A uh, team that, and I hate to say this because I love Mark Pope, who played at Kentucky, coach at BYU. Uh, you know, I think they're on the bubble, but they've lost five of their last seven. Their team, I would definitely sell. I don't see them as having a great opportunity to get in the tournament. As far as buy, you know, I mentioned Arkansas earlier, but I don't think they're on the bubble. Florida is a team that I think has a chance that I, that I think I would buy right now. And for a couple of reasons, uh, you know, they beat Auburn on Saturday, which obviously was a huge win. And if you look at their schedule, the four games they have left, they have Arkansas on Tuesday, which is obviously going to be a tough game, but that game is at home. If they could win that game, then they go to Georgia and they go to Vanderbilt, obviously two winnable games, and they finish up with Kentucky at home. So that's another big opportunity for them there. If they could go three and one in that stretch, I think if they sweep that stretch, they're definitely in. They'd be 11 and seven in the SEC. Um, if they could go three and one in that stretch, I think that would definitely – I think that would put him in being 10 and eight in a really tough league, getting Colin Castleton back to miss six games from with a shoulder injury, I think is big for them. Another team that I kind of buy is Memphis with Benny Hardaway. They've been playing better. I know they lost to SMU, but they have been playing better. I think they've won something like five in a row. They've got some opportunities and they've got Houston in their last game of the season at home. Uh, so they're a team. They have so much talent. I know it's young talent. They've had a hard time. They've been up and down all season but they've got so much talent. They would be a team that once they get in the tournament, you might not want to play them when you look across and see the guys that they, that Penny puts out there. And they might be one of those teams that, uh, you know, they don't know they're not supposed to go far because they're so young. So we'll see how that plays out. But I kind of like those teams, Florida and Memphis. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And Memphis has definitely been interesting this year, kind of having that, you know, roller coaster of a season. Uh, and now, like you said, being able to, win some games that when they're able to get at Houston was a really, really big win for them that I think is going to be huge for them come selection Sunday. Um, and I'm interested to see how that works in the tournament with uh, how their chemistry continues. I know, uh, you know, Penny had kind of mentioned that being an issue earlier in the year. So, you know, when the lights are shining brightest and guys want their time in the spotlight, I mean, how is that going to work? And are they going to be able to keep kind of playing the way he wants them to play and and play as one that's gonna definitely be interesting I think for me um and, and I agree with Florida that definitely are some big opportunities there for them a team that I'm buying right now I know the numbers on this team are not great but in in terms of analytics but I I'm liking what I'm seeing a lot from Rutgers right now they just lost at Purdue over the weekend uh on the road but you know we're able to get all these top 25 wins in a row kind of started the year shaky with, you know, these losses to Lafayette and UMass and just <laughs> kind of teetering there, but it seems like they have figured things out. Uh, they're out one with, without one of their best players uh, in Ron Harper, Ron Harper Jr. against Purdue, I believe. Um, but I mean, they got wins against Michigan state, Ohio state at Wisconsin, and then, at home versus Illinois. Uh, and then the, for their last four games, of the regular season, they'll be at Michigan at home again versus Wisconsin, Indiana, and then Penn state. So not, you know, the best teams in the conference kind of left on the schedule as much, but they'll have an opportunity in that uh, big 10 tournament as well. And I think that's gotta be a hungry team knowing the seniors that came back on that group and wanting to, uh, you know, kind of finish what they started with that program in their final year. So I'm intrigued by them. Uh, defense right now is top 50 in the country. The offense obviously has to do uh, a lot better, and that'll be a big factor there. So, but I mean, the amount of quad one wins that they have right now, uh, you know, not many teams are are up there with them. It's kind of interesting you know, they have six quad one wins. They're one of those teams this year with Alabama as well, but just has a very kind of weird resume and schedule. But I, and Alabama is not going to be on the bubble, but in terms of those two teams, in terms of looking at someone come March, I feel a bit more confident in kind of what Rutgers could do just because there's been consistency kind of lately 
and the issues were at the beginning of the year, whereas opposed to a team like Alabama, you're just kind of going all over the place uh, here. So that's going to be a team I'm buying, a team I'm selling that, you know, I was thinking maybe can make the tournament uh, ranked in the preseason, had a really bad start of season, had gotten some steam and now seems to be dropping off again is Oregon. Um, I thought the Pac-12 was going to do a lot better at the beginning of a season than it has. Um, you've got Arizona and UCLA, but I, I thought you might see some more from USC, from Oregon, um, and just that loss that they just had at Arizona. Uh, you know, didn't love a lot of things I saw there, especially on that final possession. Obviously, that's just one game, but I think with losing that game on the road and just because the Pac-12 isn't as strong as it kind of seemed at the beginning of the season, not as many opportunities there to uh, get into the tournament. I, I I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear Rutgers, all I can hear is Jim Balvano's classic speech, and he's talking about imitating uh, uh, Lombardi, and it's it's your religion, your family, and Rutgers basketball. <laughs> but you make a good point about them. I I, I do think um, it's crazy how this is what I think this is my problem with the the net rankings is I feel like it doesn't take into account there's no way to quantify how a team improves over the course mm-hmm. of the season so yeah they started out kind of stumbling but they're definitely on a roll they had what what you say four 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 wins against ranked teams you know yeah, as really. an unranked team I don't know the history of that but I don't think there have been too many teams that have pulled that out off as an unranked team um I agree with you uh in terms of Oregon that's who I had down as a team I wanted to sell there's a lot of teams I want to sell on the bubble (laughs) but um yeah they getting swept by Arizona State didn't help and I think the way they close out they still have tough games against UCLA and USC remaining I just I, I don't think they get it done um, one of the teams I wanted to buy, though, was Creighton um, in the Big East. They've they've got a five game winning streak going um, six of their last seven. They've won and they've got a couple of big opportunities to uh, to improve their resume. Um, it's going to be tough, definitely. But they have a shot at Providence on Saturday and, uh, and then they have UConn at home. Um, as two of the last four games that they close out. They already beat UConn once um, in stores. So uh, I, I think they're, they've got their momentum going and they're, they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, the Big East has definitely been interesting to see kind of that resurgence for them this year, uh, kind of had a down year last year, and you've always had kind of Villanova at the top there. And now you're kind of seeing some movement, obviously Providence doing great things. Uh, Marquette is is playing really well under Shaka Smart. That's been a huge surprise team for me. I remember doing an article when I was working for Sports Illustrated over the summer of kind of looking at teams that were impacted by draft decisions and transfer decisions. And I mean, they just lost everyone. Um, you know, they brought back Justin Lewis, who has just had an incredible year uh, jump in his sophomore season, but really didn't have much coming back. Went out into the transfer portal got a lot of good guys and is really getting them to, uh, you know, play some interesting basketball with, you know, his defensive style has always been so good. I covered Daryl Morsell at Maryland. Uh, I had a feeling whatever team he was going to go to, he was going to make a big impact on just as kind of a glue guy. Uh, and that kind of brings us into uh, coaches of the year. Shaka Smart is on that list for Marquette. So is Ed Cooley. Uh, really quick here, guys. I mean, what team, I mean, if you had to pick a coach of the year right now or a couple that are on your mind, who would they be? Well, like you mentioned, I think Ed Cooley has to be way up there with the job that he's done at Providence this year. He would probably be, if he's not at the top of my list, he'd be very close. I think you got to look at Bruce Pearl at the job, just the overall job he's done at Auburn. Uh, you know, sometimes these awards aren't always for the just that season. It's for the, you know, what they've done overall. I think Bruce would have to be up there as well. Those guys would probably be too. And I mean, you got to look at Arizona, uh, the job that's been done there uh, coming in. That was a mess there with Sean Miller. Uh, so that obviously a great job there as well. But I, I, I think if I had to pick right now, I might put Ed Cooley at the top of my list. Oh, 
Yeah, I agree uh, with your list, John. I would add Mark Adams from Texas Tech, yeah, um, kind of yeah. coming in after after Chris Beard and and the timing of it too. From my my memory, I don't I don't have this you know written down or anything, but I I feel like it was just uh, it seemed like Chris Beard left after his buyout went down, like he waited a little bit longer, even though he knew he was going and, and which, which has caused some of the animosity it seems like between Texas tech and Texas. Well, it's more from Texas tech <laughs> feeling like they've been spurned or whatever, but um, yeah, I think he's just done a, a fantastic job at a program that historically you know, I mean, let's be honest. There's there's no real reason why Texas Tech should be a good basketball program. There's no inherent advantages that they have. And, you know, for him to have them, um, you know, as one of the top four seeds in, in the reveal as the number three seed and and certainly playing well heading into March, I, I think he's uh, he would probably be my selection right now. Yeah, That's you guys. Great, nothing about no. Well, didn't But the great thing I think about him is he's a guy who's an older guy who finally got his chance to be a head coach. Had a great yeah. reputation as an assistant, and what he'd done, you know, before that. And he's a legend in Texas basketball circles. And to finally get his chance to be a head coach at Division One level, a Power Five team, to do such a great job, I think he's definitely worthy as well. Yeah. Yeah, he but was a guy I point I out too that list. Providence Providence beat them, so yeah. <laughs> if that matters, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, and you just look at the job he's done there. Um, really had to go out on the transfer market and get everyone. You had so many guys on that team there. You know, he brought back kind of three significant guys there, but for the most part, he went out in the transfer portal, and you look at a lot of the guys. He got, and I mean, they're not like from these power programs. He really went out and found uh, these kind of, you know, diamonds in the rough. You hear stories of a lot of these guys, just the different levels they've had to climb up across college basketball and the way that he gets his team to play. I mean, you watch them and that defense is just ridiculous with uh, how they hound opponents, how in sync that teams play. And I really see them giving a lot of teams trouble uh, you know, come March, we've gotten some huge wins, the sweep over Texas, uh, got a win over Baylor, which was huge. Uh, they had that, they're at Kansas and had that double OT loss, um, only facing, they had that loss to Kansas and then beat Kansas at home uh, when they played just a lot of really impressive wins on that resume. And I just, I think the job he's done there just really when you have an entirely new team coming in, getting them to play to your style, play this defensive style, be able to really buy into everything he's saying and just play that way. I, it's been really special, I think, to watch. And another guy who was new as, as a head coach to a program in Tommy Lloyd. Look at a, a lot of these team, a lot of the coaches or top teams. And, you know, if there's someone we didn't necessarily expect to be there, maybe you have a player that, takes a big leap or are getting guys through a transfer portal. And a lot of what's leading Tommy Lloyd's team is freshmen. He was known for a while as this guy that just was able to go out and really do an incredible job as an international scout and, and finding guys that not a lot of people were looking at. And you look at his roster right now, and he's really been able to do that. I'm interested to see if they are, what they are able to do come March. Cause I'm not fully sold on them yet, but definitely been an impressive job there. And then, Ed Cooley for Providence, another big surprise there. And I've loved the way that they've shown him with his teams kind of late in games and huddles, uh, how he gets all those guys to rally and kind of be able to finish out those close games. I think that's a really big determiner of being a good coach is how you get your team to finish games. And that, that's been really awesome to see there. We're going to be coming up on having – the player of the year. We're still waiting for that late season reveal. It doesn't feel like there's like a standout player at the moment. There's definitely been a lot of guys that I think are in that conversation. Oscar Shibwe, John Clay, I think is uh, going to be my top pick there right now. And I know it's for a lot of other people. What do you think of what he's doing right now and how he stacks up in that conversation? 
I mean, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little biased from the standpoint that I get to see him in every game. He's just been so consistent. I mean, I think he had his 21st double-double on Saturday uh, in the win over Alabama. You know, and we're, he leads the nation in rebounding. He's been much better offensively than we thought coming in. We've heard, you know, uh, and what we'd seen in West Virginia, okay, he's going to be an improvement over what they had in the past. He's a good rebounder. He's going to be a good guy in the middle, but uh, he's been better offensively. And he's gotten better as the years gone along. He's developed a jump shot. I think there are some a lot of other worthy candidates out there. Uh, when you look at, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Davis of Wisconsin, you look at some other guys like that. But I don't – but I – and like I said earlier, I'm probably a little biased because I've seen Oscar game in and game out, but he would be my pick as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I was going to make this point about coach of the year. Like, it's it's almost like sometimes we vote based on expectations when yeah. somebody to me, like John Calipari, who, you know, I don't know what he's got to do to get some of the coaches at the quote unquote top have to do to get uh, to get voted for this. But to me, the job he's done this year might be his best job at Kentucky because of the amount of transfers like Oscar coming in, Kellen Grady, uh, Wheeler. Um, It's not just that he's got five top 10, you know, the top 10 freshmen from the year and he rolls the ball out and, you know, they win a bunch of games. Not that he's ever (laughs) just rolled the ball out anyway, but you know what I mean? (laughs) He doesn't have that elite talent that Kentucky has had during his tenure where on paper, they're already better than the opponent that they're playing. Like this team, he's had to, to mesh this team together and he's got them playing at a high level. And of course, Oscar is at the, Tashiwe is at the center of, of all of that. But he's not my guy for player of the year. Um, I will take all generic name leader Johnny Davis as as uh, my guy. I just, I mean, he's had one game where he hadn't scored double digits this year. Um, and the rest of them, he just makes splash plays. He he's he scores when you know, when all the all the defense is geared up to stopping him, he still comes through with big buckets. Um, and he's been consistent, you know, with it this season. I, I, I just feel like he came out of nowhere. Uh, he, he wouldn't have been the guy that I, even on the Wisconsin roster, he wasn't the guy that I necessarily expected to make this kind of jump from last year to this year, but um, he's been impressive all year. Yeah. But, and yeah, I, I, he's, I think those are definitely the top two, but to, to kind of add to your point, CL about Cal, you know, yeah, this is the most experienced team Cal's had in a while. In fact, he's told us these guys actually get my jokes, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, with the young freshman they didn't do. But I, to me, that's going to be the next big thing. Well, I think it's already a thing is with the transfer portal. It's not just getting guys from the transfer portal, but getting the right guys from the transfer portal. I think Cal did a really good job of that. And he did it. He worked hard from the summer on of making sure, like Sale said, these guys mesh. They learn to play each other. They get with each other. They get along. This year, last year, they didn't get to do that, and they ended up nine and sixteen. This year, when Kyle had his camps during the summer, he had a to promote the camps, of course. But he had he made one player available at each camp, so we got to go to some of these camps and watch the players interact with each other. And you could tell pretty early on that this group was going to get along with each other. They were going to bind. And I think that's going to be really important for all college basketball teams moving forward. There's going to be so many guys out on the transfer portal. It's not just, okay, getting the most talented guys, but getting the guys who fit your need and who will fit together. And I think Cal did a great job of that this year. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And not only getting those guys, but having the skill to get those players to mesh uh, and, and to really be able to do that is going to play such a huge factor. And getting those transfers and having that experience, I think is going to pay dividends for Kentucky in March. And so as we get into final four picks, I mean, they're going to be one of my picks there for that reason. I think um, in the past, part of my concern a lot of times with these Kentucky teams was you've got a lot of freshmen who haven't necessarily been there before. Um, Even if, you know, you don't necessarily have guys on this team that have had a ton of experience in March, you do have a lot of senior leadership on that team, incredible guard play, and then Oscar Shibwe down low as well. So they're going to 
be there for me in my final four as we get into those picks here. Um, I, I guess I'll just give mine real quick and then get into yours. Um, Gonzaga, as we mentioned, just has been really dominant. Um, it'd be hard to not see them getting there. I think it'll be interesting how the seating plays out. It's hard to say if this is a year that they can, you know, win it all. It doesn't seem um, that they're as dominant to me as last year, just with the non-conference, but you look at what they're doing with WCAC, their average margin of victory there is 26.9 points. Their closest win was by 12 points. Um, incredible offense there. Uh, Drew Timmy, Shet Holmgren, but I think a huge factor for them as well is going to be Andrew Nemhard, a veteran point guard averaging 5.7 assists. Um, I think having veteran point guards is really a huge key to going far in March. Uh, Texas Tech, as I mentioned, I really like what they're doing this year of defense. And I think they're really going to give teams uh, fits in, in March and be able to knock some guys off. I mean, we'll see where they get seated, but even if they come in as kind of a lower than expected seed, I think they could be a team that is just really going to uh, be able to throw a team off of its game by just, you know, completely disrupting their offense. And then I'm going back and forth a bit on who I see in that fourth spot uh, between Auburn, Kansas, Baylor, and Duke. Uh, really kind of a tough choice there, especially with Auburn losing that game at Florida over the weekend. And they've kind of played down the competition a little bit. I mean, they went down to the wire with both Missouri and Georgia, who, in my opinion, I mean, not my opinion, I guess it's in the standings, uh, are the worst two teams in the SEC. Ole Miss is in there as well. Uh, but I mean, you know, are playing like one point games with those teams. So that's concerning, but that front court duo of Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith is so good. Um, great guards. there. a bit concerned with, uh, you know, I love Katie Johnson, but you kind of worry at the end of games, whether he's, you know, going to get the ball to the right guy's hands. You've kind of seen him try and play hero ball a little bit in some games, um, Baylor, I mentioned the injury concerns. Duke is kind of concerns because of like the ACC is not as strong as it has been. Are they prepared uh, for March? And to really, you know, if they get a team that is, is giving them some fits and some trouble, are they able to get past that? Not really having to um, go up against that tough of competition throughout the year. Um, and then Kansas there. I think I'm going to have to go with Auburn as the pick, but really a tough choice between those last four for kind of who I have in that fourth spot. Uh, CL, who do you have right now as your final four at the moment? Well, I, I like you, um, Gonzaga is my, my first pick. It, it's kind of funny. It, it reminds me a, a lot of the old UNLV days um, where they run through their conference and you just kind of, wonder are they still this like are they good or you know <laughs> did they just beat up on teams that they were supposed to beat up on uh but i i think that this team is built for it i felt like the program you know not that there's always carryover from one year to the next but i i still feel like their experience last year will help them um in the tournament this year and uh and i think they still got a, a little you know a little chip on their shoulder um, from not winning it last year. And, and I think that, you know, certainly could help um, this year. Uh, I'm going with Auburn as well. I just, I, I, I mean, I probably shouldn't love this team as much as I do. Um, they, they have, you know, the Carolina transfer, uh, Walker Kessler, who's, who's become a defensive stalwart for them um, uh, as a shot blocker. But Jabari Smith is just, you know, he he would probably be my number one pick overall in the draft too, um, as well. Even though I didn't <laughs> I didn't pump him up for Player of the Year nationally, but yeah, I agree um, with I you just, there. Yeah, I just love his game, and I I think he's the type of player, you know, that can help carry a team to a Final Four. Um, and this is one of those years where I felt like. The SEC has been so competitive and has so much talent. It could really happen from a number of conferences, certainly the Big Ten or the Big 12, where they get two teams in. But I'm taking the SEC to get two teams in. And Kentucky, 
being uh, the second SEC team in. Um, I just, as I mentioned before with Calipari, I, I, I love what he's doing, how he's put this team together. <clears throat> you know, it, it is one thing to keep an eye on their injuries too, because, you know, having both Wheeler and Washington uh, kind of beat up at the same time uh, injury-wise, North Carolina knows that well. In 2012, they had a team that they felt like could have won a national championship, but, you know, they lost Dex- Dexter Strickland during the year and then Kendall Marshall in the NCAA tournament and ended up playing basically with a walk-on point guard in the Elite Eight against Kansas. So, um, you know, you never want it, it, the same position, but especially your guard position going into the tournament. Uh, to be the one that you have question marks about injuries. But I'm saying all things considered and assuming that they are healthy, um, I I would take Kentucky. And my last team, uh, it almost feels like a sleeper, but they're not really a sleeper, but I I like Purdue. Um, I I, I love Jaden Ivey also as as being, quote-unquote, that go-to guy for them if they need a basket. Uh, Trevion Williams coming off the bench for them. Not many people have a, a one-two front court punch like Purdue with uh, Zach Eady and, and Trevion Williams. And so um, I just I just like the way that they play. Uh, Sasha Stefanovic is also a guy who can get hot from three and, and light it up. So I, I like the balance that they have. The question that I have about them is defensively, yeah. they probably aren't as tough as as – Typical Matt Painter teams have been in the past, but uh, but you also got to stop them. <laughs> they can just outscore you. So um, that's that's my fourth team. Yeah, Purdue is very interesting there uh, because you look at their defense, 115th in the country right now in adjusted efficiency. You've never had a team win the national championship in the Ken Palm era dating back to 2001, 2002. Uh, that's rated lower than 22. So. I'm really interested to see what happens there, if they can get that defense together down the stretch, because I agree with everything you said there. Jaden Ivey is a really great player. They've got a lot of guys there that could get hot at any point. They've got a lot of size that could give teams trouble as well. Uh, But interested to see if they are able to figure out that defense. Uh, John, what are you thinking for your uh, final four picks? I'm like you guys. I like Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga will get there. They know they know the way. They know how to get there. And I think, like you guys said, they may have a little chip on their shoulder after last year. I think they're they're going to make it. I like Kentucky if Kentucky can stay healthy. Like CL said, they've had they've had really uh, injury problems all year long, nagging things with both the Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler. Tata Washington, especially and Jacob Toppin's been in and out. He had a shoulder at the first of the year, then he hurt his ankle, and he's been a big piece for them, especially uh, uh, down the stretch. It wouldn't surprise me if Cal keeps Washington and Wheeler out maybe this week just to try to get them ready for March. I don't think he really cares about you know he'd like to be the number one seed, but I think he's more more concerned about him getting his guys healthy. Um, you know Auburn. I think, Lyle, you're exactly right. What scares me about Auburn is the way they play down to competition, the close games they've had. Those are definitely red flags, the way they played on the road this year uh, against teams like uh, Missouri and Georgia. But on the other hand, Japari Smith, I mean, he's the real deal. And he is, like CL said, he's a guy who gets on a run who could really carry you far. I think Auburn's going to be a feast or famine team. Either they get knocked out in the first weekend and it's a surprise knockout or they make it all the way to the Final Four. If they don't make it to the Final Four, I love Purdue. I know both of you guys have talked about Purdue. I think this is that's what makes this Purdue team different than Matt Painter's teams in the past, that they can score. They can put the ball in the basket. And I think I, I really like them. And if you made me uh, made me pick between Purdue and Auburn, I think I'd pick Auburn to be in the Final Four. I mean, pick Purdue, I'm sorry, to be in the Final Four. And my fourth team, I think Duke's going to find a way to get to the Final Four. Krzyzewski's last year. They've got the talent. I don't think this is a great Duke team by any means, but I don't know. I just think some way, somehow, Duke's going to find their way in the Final Four one more time for Krzyzewski. We'll see how that plays out. But that would be my four. I would take uh, Gonzaga, Kentucky, and I'm going to take Purdue over Auburn, and then Duke finds a way. If I could just add on to that Duke point, um, it's it's funny with this team. I feel like I, I don't know if they can handle the pressure of of that. That's you know, what I was going to say. Final being, year. The, being that final Coach K team. Yeah, yes, that's a lot. yeah. Because I feel like they've played worse at home 
like when they've been on the road, they've been fine. But I felt like it's it's part of the pressure of trying to be perfect, you know, and trying to make everything the best for Coach K in his final uh, final season. You know, they lost to Miami and Virginia at home. Uh, they I'm not going to say they struggled, but certainly Wake Forest could have beaten them at home. And then for this finale um, against North Carolina, I almost if, if Carolina wouldn't have lost to Pittsburgh, I probably would take them in that game, certainly in Vegas with in getting some points, because I just feel like I don't know, man, I, I think it, it's this isn't a veteran team. It's not guys who have been through things and can kind of navigate it. And that that rivalry game in and of itself you can kind of like hyperventilate before the ball <laughs> is ever tipped and kind of lose a mental edge. So I, I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that they come out and play free in that final game. Um, now, who knows which version of Carolina shows up. So, but uh, I, I just, I, that's, that's kind of what's keeping me from being more on Duke's bandwagon because I do like their talent, but I just, I don't know. It's that's that's a lot to ask these kids to, to try and send Coach K out on top. Yeah, that was exactly my thinking of kind of being on the edge with them for a final four as well. That's just it's it's so much pressure and it's going to be talked about throughout the tournament. Um, I just yeah, I mean, especially as a young team, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Um, so. I mean, I think even if they were to kind of get to a final four, I think as you get kind of further in the tournament for that team is kind of as that's going to get even tougher. Um, So, you know, I see them getting out of the first weekend. I could see them, you know, pretty easily getting to a sweet 16 or elite eight. And I think then from there, once you get to the elite eight, that second weekend is really, really when you might start to see that. And uh, I mean, that's so awesome. You get to cover that final game is kind of crazy. I was seeing uh, all the ticket prices online for mm. those final Duke games. And that's definitely going to be a fun one to watch uh, here in a little bit, uh, which I guess brings us to where we'll end things with we'll each kind of give a couple games or one game that we're most excited to watch this week as we, we wrap things up. Well, I'll stick with Duke. Um, they go to Virginia on Wednesday night. As I mentioned, Virginia won that first game in Cameron. Um, it, it, this is kind of typical of a, of a Tony Bennett season where they've gotten better as the season has progressed. And, and they, they're kind of, you know, figured out that pack line defense. He had a lot of moving parts, too, because they, they lost a lot from last season um, and through transfers and everything like that. So. It, it took them a while to kind of gel defensively in, in the way that we've, we're used to seeing them play. Um, and Charlottesville is a tough place to play. So I, I think that could end up being a good game. Um, I, I don't I don't see Virginia sweeping them, but I didn't see Virginia winning in Cameron either. So <laughs> so that, that could make for uh, for a good contest. Also, the second game I was going to say was Kansas at Baylor on Saturday. Um yeah. You know, it's definitely a big game for Baylor trying to make up ground in a Big 12 race. Yeah, that, there's a lot of good games on Saturday. I'm going I'm to pick two games. One kind of off the radar is uh, Thursday, Belmont's at Murray State in the OVC. Belmont's 24-5, and five, Murray State's 26-2, and two, Murray State's 16-0, and 0, Belmont's 14-2. and two. Some people are saying this could be a year where the OVC could get two teams in. If if Belmont could beat Murray and get that win, uh, that would be a huge win for them. And I think when make they could have a case that hey, we we can get two OVC teams into the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if they can beat Murray, I think they have a case. The other game I like is uh, the Kentucky game at Arkansas on Saturday. It's a big week for Arkansas. They're at Florida on Tuesday, then they got Kentucky at home. The last time Kentucky played at the Fayetteville, Cal got ejected during that game, and Kentucky came out one. You know, Arkansas fans are going to be, you know, really loud at Bud Walton for that game. There's a lot of good games on Saturday. You got Kentucky, Arkansas, you got Auburn, Tennessee, Kansas, Baylor, and Purdue, Michigan State. It, it's going to be a packed on Saturday. But uh, kind of, I like that off-the-radar game between Belmont and Murray State on Thursday night. That'll be one to keep an eye on. Yeah, you guys mentioned a lot of ones on my uh, radar. I, I 
can't say I was thinking about the Murray State one, but I might have to find a way to watch that now. It's been cool to uh, see the season they're having. And uh, I covered Belmont in the NCAA tournament a few years back when they played Maryland. That was uh, a fun game with, with Dylan Windler, who's now in the NBA. Uh, I guess I'll kind of have mine be another, maybe a little bit under the radar game. Uh, Wyoming at Colorado State is going to be on Wednesday. Uh, interested to see how many teams the Mountain West is able to get into the tournament. Uh, you've got Boise State, Wyoming, uh, Colorado State as, as some good teams there. Uh, and some p- fun players in that game, Hunter Maldonado for Wyoming and then David Roddy for Colorado State. I think that's going to be a really fun battle down low. Two guys with just like incredible footwork and athleticism that you wouldn't really be expecting. Uh, so excited to see that battle there. Certainly Kentucky at Arkansas and Kansas at Baylor are going to be two really, really exciting games to watch, especially with the battles in in both those conferences. Those are games that are really going to have an effect on things. I think Arkansas has a bit too many losses at the start of conference play to get into that top spot for the SEC, but that'll have an effect on seeding for the SEC tournament. And then Kansas at Baylor is going to have a huge effect on the Big 12 standings. So certainly a great week ahead of college basketball. It's only going to get better from here as we inch closer to the NCAA tournament. And I'll be back next week with another episode and more guests. Thank you all so much for tuning in for the first episode. If there are things that you want us to discuss, please let us know. And of course, a huge, huge thank you to CL and John for hopping on and kicking things off. It was awesome to get your insight and perspective. And if you guys aren't already, make sure you're following along with their work. Thank you for having us. And yeah, s- send some of that me. Kansas City barbecue this way. <laughs> <laughs>